Turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 4. We're taking a two-step approach today. This morning will be verses 1 through 9, and then tonight's sermon and the evening worship will be the rest of Philippians chapter 4. So sort of a two sides of the same coin, Philippians 4. We begin this morning with verses 1 through 9, and then this evening we, we pick up. Well, we're going to give you a little test to start out this morning. Don't tell me you're not old enough to remember. You're supposed to know your history anyway. So uh, listen very carefully. This is a multiple choice test, which always seems easier than fill in the blank. You would agree with that. So let's see this morning what you actually remember. Let's go back to 1970. 1970, the year of 1970, an earthquake kills 50,000 people. May 31st, 1970, in what country? A, India, B, Brazil, C, Peru, D, Dominican Republic. India, Brazil, Peru, or Dominican Republic? The answer is C. May 31st, 1970, an earthquake kills more than 50,000 people in Peru. A lot of you have a zero test score. We'll give you some more as we can get that thing up. <laughs> Guys, this one's for you. 1970, Super Bowl. Who is the world champion football team in 1970? A, Minnesota, B, Kansas City, C, Dallas Cowboys, or D, San Francisco 49ers. Minnesota, Kansas City, Dallas, or San Francisco? The answer is B, Kansas City. I was seven years old in 1970, so those are hard for me. Let's move on to the 80s where we're sure to do better. The year is 1980. The Academy Award for Best Picture in 1980 goes to A, Kramer versus Kramer. B, The Rock That Ate Pittsburgh. You know, sometimes you throw one in, you know that's not the answer, right? The Rock That Ate Pittsburgh. C, On Golden Pond. Or D, Elephant Man. Kramer versus Kramer, The Rock That Ate Pittsburgh, On Golden Pond, or The Elephant Man. Best picture goes to Kramer versus Kramer. All right, this is more important. These are for our STEM folks. Who won the Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 1980 for developing methods to map the structure and function of DNA? DNA Studies, 1980. A, Paul Berg and others. B, James Cronin and others. C, Janice Brown and others. D, George D. Snell and others. So Berg, Cronin, Brown, or Snell? The answer is Paul Berg and others. Okay, let's go on to 1990. Which of these did not happen? Has anybody gotten anything right yet? <laughs> okay, I've seen a few hands. Which of these events did not, listen carefully, did not happen in 1990. A, South Africa frees Nelson Mandela. B, Iraqi troops invade Kuwait. C, East and West Germany are united. Or D, Duke reigns as NCAA basketball champion. South Africa frees Nelson Mandela. Iraqi troops invade Kuwait. East and West Germany are united. And Duke reigns as NCAA basketball champion. Which one of those things did not happen? UNLV defeats Duke, wallops them, 103 to 73. All right, let's move on to 2000. Now, everybody should get these right. 
These are a lot of big, important events in 2000. Which one does not happen in 2000? A, Kathy Lee Gifford calls it quits on live with Regis and Kathy Lee. I know that's important. B, Oprah Winfrey debuts the O Magazine. C, Richard Hatch wins Survivor. Or D, Kenneth Lay resigns from Enron. Kathy Lee Gifford quits with Regis. Oprah Winfrey starts a magazine. Richard Hatch wins Survivors. Or Kenneth Lay resigns from Enron. Which one does not happen in 2000? Ken Lay does not resign from Enron in the year 2000. Last one. Now, really, I'm going all the way to 2010 to help a lot of people out here. The following new product is introduced in 2010. The following new product is introduced in 2010. The iPad, the Apple Watch, DVDs, or self-driving cars. iPad, Apple Watch, DVD, or self-driving car. The answer is A iPad is introduced in the year 2010. You thought they've always been around, didn't you? 2010. (laughs) Well, perhaps you're amazed at how poorly you scored this morning. What if I had taken you back to the year 1500? You couldn't do 1970 and 1980. What if I had gone all the way back to the year of 1500? Who won the chariot races? How would you have done? Or what about 500 years from now? What will be remembered about the year 2022 and 2522? What will be remembered about the year 2022 and 2522? What will remain important? Not a person's name in this room will be known by anyone in 2522. Not a, not a person, not, there's not a single name in this room that anybody will remember 500 years from now. You and I, by then, will likely be forgotten forever. Can you give me a list of all the names of your great-great-grandparents? You can't. I can't give you the list of my names of my great-grandparents. That's close. And I already don't know the names, all the names. I know some of them, but I can't give you all the names of my great-grandparents because all those names have not been given to me. There probably won't be any books in the year 25, 22, but whatever the media form is present, a student will come across an article entitled, Most Important Events in the 20th and 21st Century." Most important events in the 20th and the 21st century. What will be the list of the top two things from the 20th and the 21st century? 9-11, Iraq war, no, it'll be a blip on the screen by then. Wars seem so important when they're fought. You step forward 500 years People can't remember who fought whom or even what the battle was about. For we realize that nations wage war against nations every single day of human history. Well, let's let's see how you do here. The the Battle of Gettysburg. Now, that's about 160 years ago, somewhere in there. Thousands of tourists flocked to the little town in Pennsylvania, 
We remember Gettysburg mostly because of the speech that Abraham Lincoln gave there four months later. Well, Bob Kaler was a historical interpreter during two of his summers at college. He took people through tours of Gettysburg, and these are some of the actual questions he received at Q&A time after the tour of Gettysburg. Question first, did the soldiers hide behind these monuments when they fought the war? Of course, the war happens, and then the monuments come, so they don't hide exactly, you know, behind the monuments. Where did those red coats come from? Wrong war, wrong war, wrong war. What was Lincoln's actual Gettysburg address? They wanted a house address. What was Lincoln's actual Gettysburg address? The all-time, all-time favorite of questions asked at the scene at the Gettysburg battle why were so many of these Civil War battles fought on National Park Service land? <laughs> Why were so many of these Civil War battles fought on National Park Service land? I mean, pick somewhere else to fight, would you? Come on, that's ridiculous. So 25-22, they're not going to remember anything about us. James Treffel says it's new discoveries that transcend all of time. He said what will be remembered in 2522 is that man was put on a moon and that the cracking of the genetic code, that those two big discoveries are the only thing that transcend 500 years of memory. Well, Treffel might be right, Treffel might be wrong, we won't know and he won't know because the year will be 2522. When Paul takes a look at history in Philippians, what does Paul say we really ought to remember? What was worth remembering according to the apostle? Our chapter 4 of Philippians begins today by declaring, stand firm in the Lord. Now, there's some little squabble going on between two church ladies here, Yodia and Syntyche. We have no way of knowing what their squabble was about between these two ladies, but they were good ladies, Paul says. Paul says, verse 3, they've shared in the struggle and the cause of the gospel. And Paul calls for them to leave their anxiousness behind. Leave this little squabble behind. Verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord, he says. Rejoice because, verse 5, the Lord is near. And then he says, verse 6, don't worry about it. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing because as we pray to God, verse 6, we receive the peace of God which passes all comprehension. We worry about so many things things that really make absolutely no difference at all. They won't be remembered five weeks from now, much less five years from now, or 500 years from now. How many shallow crises do we create? Oh, it's a bad hair day. I've worked on my hair for over an hour, and it just won't do what it's supposed to do, so someone's day is ruined over their hair. Something so trivial becoming so major. The reality is the whole world is anxious. Boston University 
did a study recently of 33,000 college students nationwide, not just at Boston University. 33,000, it was a comprehensive study nationwide. And the findings were this, not a small portion, but the majority of college and university students enrolled today say that their mental health will impact their academic performance. The majority of college university students today say their mental health right now will impact their academic performance. I spoke with Evan Henson, who's at First Baptist Lubbock, who ministers to tech students there. He says the number one issue among tech students on campus is anxiety. Anxiety. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. And yet we are anxious about everything. What Paul is saying to Yodia and Syntyche is, whatever argument is making you anxious, upset, it's not even worth mentioning, much less remembering. It's not just our students who fret, it's all of us. Little fender bender in the parking lot at Walmart, it's inconvenient, but it's plastic and metal and rubber, and they're guys who can make it look just as good as the day it left the showroom floor. Our worries are so, so silly. I came across the Roanoke, Virginia Times from Monday, September the 20th, 2004. The newspaper pictures a lady outside of her home, and she's expecting, you can tell, and there are articles about she's worried that about 200 yards away, they're using jackhammers, and she fears what impact the rhythm and the pounding of the jackhammers will have on her unborn child. She's fretting every day about the jackhammers that are 200 yards away and the impact they will have on her unborn child. And as I looked at the picture very carefully, she was smoking a cigarette in her hand while she was worried about the jackhammers that were 200 yards away. Her worries, like ours, were misplaced. You've never seen someone worrying until you've performed a wedding. There's someone at the wedding called the mother of the bride. I call her the mob for just for term of endearment. She's dreamed that day will be perfect for her little princess. They've been looking at magazines since Princess was about three years old. And anything that the church does or the caterer or the photographer, anything the band does wrong, one missed note on the trumpet and you are in big, big trouble because they've spent way too much already. And all of the future of this child hinges on an absolute perfect wedding. And what are the friends going to say when they realize that the shade of the napkin is one half more umber than the shade of the tablecloth? Just what will the friends think when they see the mismatched napkins and tablecloths by one hue of umber? It takes four things to be married. A bride, a groom, an efficient, and a license. Nothing else matters. Tell yourself that thing. Four things. If you have a bride show up, a groom show up, I show up, and you got a license, it doesn't matter what happens to anything else, you will be just as married. We waste our lives on so much meaninglessness. And I am offender number one. Let me confess. Offender number one right here. 
There's some people we call worry warts. They're always dwelling on one worry or another, big or small. They are, in fact, not comfortable if they don't have something about which to worry. And when there's nothing to worry about, they worry that they have nothing to worry about. The Germanic root for the word worry is strangle. Our worries strangle us. They rob us of our joy. The reality is most of the things that we're anxious about, and Paul tells us be anxious for nothing, actually never happen. Worry saps your energy and robs your mind of creative thoughts and leaves you in a state of paranoia. Robert H. Leahy, Ph.D., director of the American Institute of Cognitive Therapy, New York City, author of the book, The Worry Cure, Seven Steps to Stop Worry from Stopping You. The Worry Cure, Seven Steps to Stop Worry from Stopping You. It's very insightful. Here's, here's the thesis of the book. Worriers have the misguided idea that because they worry, they're going to be prepared for the worst. Worriers have the misguided idea that because they worry, they'll be prepared for the worst. It's like saying, the best thing I can do for the future is to make myself depressed today. The best thing I can do about the future is to make myself depressed today. The best thing I can do for the future has to, to imagine the worst possible scenario in all the future and make myself miserable today. We worry about our health. We worry about our careers. We worry about our finances. We worry about our future. We worry about our kids and our relatives. We worry about life in general. And we even worry about what people are thinking about us for worrying in the process. Think about it for a while. Worriers believe they have no control over the outcomes of life. Worriers believe they have no control over the outcomes of life. Worriers, by definition, tend to be negative and pessimistic. Worriers, by definition, are negative and pessimistic. Worriers feel like they're victims, number three, and life is picking on them. Worriers feel like they're victims, and life is picking on them. Number four, they don't believe they have any positive options for events or circumstances. They don't believe they have any positive options for events or circumstances. And warriors don't live in today. They live in the past or in the future, but they miss today. They found some ancient hieroglyphics in a cave, and worry is depicted as a wolf with its fangs and a neck. It robs the flow of life from the brain to the body and the body to the brain. If you look up the definition of worry, the word strangle comes in there. Worry strangles us like the wolf with the fangs and the neck. Paul says, verse six, six, stop it. Be anxious for nothing. Then what does Paul want them to focus on if he doesn't want them to worry? Here's what matters for Paul. Here's what really counts for the apostle. This is what will be important five years from now or 5,000 years from now or 50,000 years from now. What is important to Paul, turn back to chapter 3, is the story of Jesus. The one thing that transcends all memory and all time and all the cosmos is the story of Jesus. For Paul, what really lasts 
is the power of the crucified and the resurrected Christ. The death and the resurrection of Jesus is for Paul the linchpin of all of human history. For it ushers in the new age and it anticipates the arrival, the consummate arrival of the Christ. Paul says all of human history will come to an end point, but not so with the kingdom of God. It will go on forever and ever. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. He gives his qualifications to those who are Judaizers. Chapter 3 and verse 5. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things, all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all rubbish, rubbish, verse 8, in order that I might gain Christ. What really matters, what will be remembered five years 5,000 or 50,000 years from now is how we've embraced the one story that matters, the story of Christ. Everything else, the Apostle Paul says, is absolutely rubbish to me. Look what he says in verse 10. I want to know him. I cast aside every other thing that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and be conformed to his death. Be careful, it's not easy to follow the one who goes to the cross. But all that matters for all eternity is the death of Christ and his glorious resurrection. Verse 14, for I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What really matters, Paul says, what we ought to be worrying about is how our actions and our ideas reflect those of Christ. How do we mirror the attitude of the Messiah? He finishes chapter 3 by calling them to walk in a way, verse 16, worthy of those who follow Christ. And look at verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and we wait for the Lord Jesus Christ who will give us a glorious body as we reign with him. Stop worrying about things They make no difference. Back to chapter 4 and verse 8. 4, he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Because we worship, verse 9, chapter 4, the God of peace who is with us. 110 years from now, everybody in this building will be dead and gone. 110 years, even the, the baby born last week in the nursery. 110 years from now, Everybody in this building will be dead and gone. 
And the reality is 200 years from now, no one will even remember our names. Not one of us. Our name will mean absolutely nothing. Your children have no idea what Watergate was. John Kennedy or Ronald Reagan eras mean nothing to them. Half of them have never seen a record player in their lives, though those are making a little comeback. But the real injustice is the 8-track will never be back. It is gone absolutely forever. We can build monuments. Some people think you can save the past by building monuments and museums. We can build monuments and museums, but if nobody goes in them, they do no good. There is no way to call the generation the future to remember the trivia of our lives. The dates and details of humanity are trivia, trivia 200 years from now. You have only one opportunity at life, one opportunity to make things count. Nobody's going to remember you. The only thing that matters is how you fit in to the story of Jesus and the people of Jesus. Every building standing today on earth will be rubbish 2,000 years from now. No building lasts that long. They cave in and crumble underneath their own weight. It is inevitable. Every monument ever made, even the museums we make to remember, they will be rubbish eventually. But think about things that are honorable and true and pure and lovely and of good repute. Think of the story of Jesus. Our lives on earth are brief and historically without note. But we can follow the Christ who is the ultimate note. We can live our lives and invest ourselves in the kingdom matters that last absolutely forever. Humans have awfully short memories. I dare say no one probably made 100 on the opening quiz. If you did, come see me at the end, but be honest. But God has an eternal memory. And what we do for the God story, the Jesus story, is all that matters. My life and your life is insignificant except for the portions that are dedicated to Christ and his bride and serving others in his name. Our students this morning are in a unique position. At their age, they can give their life to something that counts. Don't come to the end of the road as many old folks do and realize, I've been chasing the wrong dream all along. What really counts? What is it that Paul would look at and say, compared to this, everything else in my life, and Paul had good things. He gave you his list. He was blameless as to the law. He was a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, the tribe of Benjamin. All the good things in his life, even the good things, are rubbish. Rubbish. And I have cast all of those aside that I may chase after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. All I want to do is share in his sufferings that I might also share in his resurrection, Paul says. And everything else I was chasing 
was a false dream. Christ and Christ's people, the church, the only thing that's eternal, he's eternal and the church will eternally praise him in the kingdom of God. How does your story connect to his story? Because your story is going to end. If you want to live on forever, your story must unite and intersect with his story that you die with him and rise with him. Let us pray. Oh God, everything else is rubbish compared to the call of the Christ in our lives. Maybe there's someone here today who's anxious, been worrying about all the wrong things. And today would be her day or his day to come forward and say, everything else is rubbish. I want, I want to claim Christ. Maybe there are others who want to be a part of the only other thing that lasts forever, and that's the church the people who will always praise Jesus for eternity. He the groom and we the bride. Father, may we live in obedience and prioritize our lives around the one story that matters. Amen.